Amen. You may be seated. That's a hard one for me to sing to that arrangement because we sang it a lot in Kentucky and had more of a hillbilly twang to it. But you all sounded really, really good. Amen. And some of us can say there's been an old name in glory. It's been there for a while. And some it's new, but all that matters is that our name is there. Amen. Even if it's right before we pass from this life to the next. If you would, turn with me once again to the Gospel of John. We are continuing our series on uh, Satan. We want to focus on Jesus, but we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy. Since from the beginning of time itself, Satan has, of course, opposed to God. The name Satan means adversary. And he is, of course, against God's highest and most prized creation, that being mankind. You and I are unique. The Bible says over all creation, that's why um, evolution and, and you know, man just kind of evolved and is a higher form of, of animal, is all garbage and all lies. Because the word of God says when God created man, he created man in his own image and likeness. I love animals. I love, one of the things Raylene and I love to watch are nature programs of, you know, fish and wildlife and, and birds. And, and we've even reached the point in our lives where we watch the little pet videos sometimes. <laughs> I never thought I'd arrive. I, I guess I'm really entering into the senior time of life where I'm enjoying these. And as wonderful and as beautiful as they are, they are nothing compared to the human soul. Because the human soul is precious in the eyes of God, created in the image of God. And God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, as a man, also God, to die upon the cross to redeem man from his sins. You and I are precious. And because of that, the enemy is against us. Because he's against God. And we're involved in warfare. I think one of the things that we can take from what's going on in Ukraine is is that war is ugly. War is devastating. War is life and death. It is, as we've seen, merciless. And that is the struggle. You and I are against the enemy. A merciless, bloodthirsty. And if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, a ruleless battle against us from the enemy whom Jesus himself referred to as the God of this world, the prince and power of of the air. But having said that, Know this, I'm going to end with this scripture, but let me share it with you at the very beginning. Regarding the enemy and anyone else who comes against the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and the church, no weapon, Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. How many are thankful for that? Let's just thank God. Amen. Because we're talking about the enemy, and we're talking about how powerful he is, because we're not to be ignorant of his devices, but we're not sharing these things so that we might be fearful. Rather, that we might be prepared and we might overcome through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony in the name of Jesus, as the book of Revelation says. So let's read our text this morning from John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 44, where the Bible says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Let's bow our hearts together and let's ask God's blessing to be with us 
as we look to God's word. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you for being with us here today. And thank you, Lord, for enabling us through the power of your Holy Spirit and the power of your precious blood to overcome the enemy. Dear God, as we look, Lord, to the word of God this morning, we once again pray for the anointing of God's Holy Spirit to fill this room. I pray that you give this, your speaker, strength and the words to share today. And I also pray that you give us all ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us, that we might be prepared to stand against the wiles of the enemy. We ask this in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen. We uh, eventually we're going to get to lies or deceit, but we've been talking about the many tactics of the enemy against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about how he's the tempter. We talked about how he would love to rake us over the coals or sift us as wheat and destroy everything in our lives to bring us to a point of despair. And we talked last week how he is as he has lost authority over us. How many understand and how many are thankful that if you know Jesus, you're no longer, no longer under the bondage of sin. And you're no longer part of the kingdom of the enemy. We no longer serve Satan. We have been liberated and set free to serve Jesus. Amen. And so we talked about that last week. But this week, I'd like to talk about one of the enemy's most effective weapons against especially believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, non-believers, but especially against believers, and, and that is the weapon of accusation or the weapon of condemnation. And as kind of a subtext, I'd like to share with you Revelation 12, verses 9 and 10, and Revelation talks about the uh, conclusion of time and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom and and different things that will happen prior to that. And there is this exclamation in this wonderful, precious book in chapter 12, beginning with verse 9, which reads, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For, and, and here we have another aspect of both the nature and the assault of the enemy against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And so the thing that we're focusing on today is that one of the ways the enemy is trying to undermine your faith in Jesus, your testimony, your peace of mind, your joy, your ministry, your relationship with Jesus, is by wielding the weapon of accusation against you in multiple ways. Now let's talk about this assault of the enemy. And I, and I think the way the enemy moves against people, and, and may I say this, one of the things I dare say, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ ha is either dealing with now has dealt with in the past or will at some point deal with their lives is, is guilt and shame over what you've done. And we'll talk about specifically uh, what specific deeds we might be feeling guilty of. And, and sometimes it's just ourselves, but many times it is the enemy who is working against us. But he's not just working and, and wielding this weapon of accusation against believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is also wielding this weapon, and I'd say rather effectively, against those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I find one of the times that seekers, people whom the Spirit of God, and what I mean by that, people whom the Spirit of God is kind of stirring up in their hearts, you know, I, I need to find forgiveness. I need to find redemption. I need eternal life. I need peace and joy. Those people are very vulnerable because the enemy comes against them hard with a spirit of accusation. You know, you're no good. 
You're, God doesn't want anything to do with you. You've done terrible, terrible things that no one, your family doesn't forgive you, your friends don't forgive you, society doesn't forgive you. How do you think God's going to forgive you? Let me tell you, and this is aside from my message this morning, but when you pray for the lost, especially those whom you've been witnessing to and the Spirit of God is beginning to stir up faith within them, pray that the accuser of the brethren would not sow his lies, that God would protect him from from those lies and from that assault of, of accusation. But as far as the way the enemy uh, accuses, think of how accusation has manifested itself in our society. There's basically two forms of, of accusation. Number one is legal. You know, you're suspected of a crime, and so you're arrested and you go before a court, and a court accuses you of committing thus and so, and, then, and if you're convicted of that, then you have to uh, pay the penalty or serve prison time or, or whatnot. So there, there's a legal aspect. But then there's an informal way of accusation where, where, where people will, will say things. And uh, I think there's kind of three aspects of this. There, there's the literal calling out of people. You are such and such. You did such and such. In fact, I, I think we... we as far as accusation in our society, and one of the reasons why our society is so bitter, so divided, so hateful, is because accusation runs wild. And people on, on, on social media feel it is their need to spout off on every little thing that's going on and to tell people not only that they are wrong, but why they're wrong and why they're right. And that never solves anything as far as just lobbing accusations against your enemy. You do a far, much, a far better job in doing what Jesus did by engaging people. Um, although there are times that Jesus responded in kind to the scribes and Pharisees. But, but we live in a society that, that's calling. Look what's happened this past week. You know, I, I would have thought earlier this week that the war in Ukraine was over because all I heard about is what happened at the Oscar ceremony. And everybody had to put their two cents in as far as, who cares? Let them deal with it. There's a lot more important things that are, that are going on. And are we spending more time talking on Twitter or Facebook or, or you know, I guess there's TikTok. I don't know. I, I don't get much involved with that. Or are we spending time in prayer over these things, or having meaningful, meaningful discussion, giving a soft answer, turning away wrath, wrath, not wrath, wrath. Um, but but right along with that is also, and this is something that unfortunately is rampant. In the church of the Lord Jesus Christ are people who are not open by openly calling out or opening, openly sharing their displeasure, but by people who whisper in the shadows. And I think I mentioned this before. We had, we had a, a couple ladies. I, I grew up in church. I'm, I'm a church kid, and, and I was a rotten church kid a lot of the times. And we all, as teenagers, we sat in the back, and we sat behind two ladies, and we called them the whispers because they whispered all <laughs> during service. And sometimes they would whisper about things that had nothing to do with what the preacher was saying. I remember one time they were talking about, did you see this movie last night? And, and you know, we'd all get a big kick out of it. And that whispering was bad, but that's not the worst kind of whispering. The worst whispering is when people in the shadows whether true or false, lob accusations against their brothers and sisters in Jesus. And let me tell you, Satan does both. There is a formal accusation against you, a formal accusation against those who have yet to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior, and there's also informal accusation. And the goal for both is this, it's to bring Souls, it's to bring human lives 
whom God loves, whom God seeks to liberate into a, a dungeon of guilt and shame. To make their, their faith joyless, to cause their lives to be ineffective, weak, to move them to a place where they're timid or fearful to serve God because they feel like hypocrites, because they're just under the, this, the, this uh, 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 cover or shroud of condemnation. And in some instances, keeping people from, number one, receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior because they think that they're not worthy. Or number two, people who know Jesus to think that to reverse their decision to receive, to uh, live in faith in Jesus and think God could not possibly forgive me because I'm, I'm too terrible of an individual. It's happened. It's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. I remember when I was in Bible school. A man that one week in, in prison, we were involved in prison ministry, and a young lady led this man to the Lord, and the following week I met him, and he, he had lost his salvation where he didn't think God could forgive him. And he gave up on his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let, let me tell you, some of you might not agree with this theology, but let me tell you this. We are saved by grace through faith. And the moment you don't think God has forgiven you, you, the moment you think that you've committed too great of a sin, that the blood of Jesus Christ isn't powerful enough to forgive you, the love of Jesus isn't great enough or deep, deep enough to forgive you, you're not saved. That, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy is that you're too evil, too wicked to be saved. Evidenced by this man having no hope that when his life was finally over, and I hope that he did come to find God. That, that was the only time I, I got to see him. I hope that before he passed from this life to the next, that the Lord revealed to him that he was someone whom, whom God found worthy to die for and would redeem if he would put his faith in him. Let's see how this... this legal and informal accusation plays out in the assault of the enemy against, against humanity. I keep wanting to say the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but should say uh, humanity. And, and we're going to refer to, as we have been referring to Job, reading Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, we see that Satan is involved in accusation Himself, he and, and, and his, his his demonic horde aren't just around playing pranks and tricks. They are hurling, raging accusations against all of us, including those of you who might be here today who don't even know Jesus. Listen to this account in the life of Job. There was a day, Job chapter one verse six, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, Fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have, have increased in the land? But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. So this is kind of the legal accusation. This is the, the, the courtroom. This is the, you know, being indicted by a prosecutor. At the time, we, we see that uh, um, in, in the uh, uh, throne room of God, the, the courts of heaven, so to speak, that, that the sons of God, the angelic beings, would come and present themselves before God. And 
for, for whatever reason, and we'll have a greater understanding when we see Jesus face to face, but, but Satan came along with them. God allowed him to come into his presence. And Job, and, and this should give you all encouragement. What God did and what started this whole thing was the Lord taking pride in his righteous servant. Now, we're not to have pride in ourselves. But I, do, I will tell you this, and this is according to the word of God. If you are living with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength for the Lord Jesus Christ, God is proud of you, and God is boasting on you. Amen? Amen. You, not if you've done great things. You know, too often we think it's, you know, the, and nothing against the, the Billy Grahams of the world and, and, you know, great evangelists and missionaries who, who've done awesome and amazing things. Nothing against them. But it's the one who is righteous who is justified before God. And I'm not saying they're not righteous, but whether great or small, in man's eyes, in God's eyes, if you are uh, living for God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, you are someone whom God boasts about. But having said that, Satan is not just willing to say, well, you're right. <laughs> he is a great guy. Why don't we move along to someone else? Like, if you read the story of Job, there were three friends whom, whom God was quite disappointed with because... <coughs> They weren't righteous in that they were judgmental. Let's move along to them. No, because Satan, and it's part of his nature, is someone who is uh, one of, of condemnation and shame and guilt, says, listen, the only reason, the only reason that he is serving you is that you protect him from me. And if you take everything from him, if you take his health, his family, his possessions, he'll curse you to your face. Now getting back to our point, what is this telling us? It's, it's, it's telling us that Satan, continually before God, is out there just, just pointing out all of our fail, failures, all of our faults, and sometimes things we haven't done or even thinking about doing, but he's accused, and many times, accusing us of those things anyway. Have you ever been accused of something you, you've never done in your life? You know, and, and a lot of times, and we'll talk about this in just a moment, this happens a lot in the church, and it shouldn't because it's satanic. Well, you know, we, we question someone's motives, they're doing, they're doing this, and the only reason they're doing this is they want to be seen by everyone. Or the only reason they're doing this is they want to gain courage or gain favor with this one. And my answer to that would be, what's the proof? Are you God where you can look down into their heart and soul and their spirit? You don't know what's going on. Perhaps it's true. It's not for me to judge, nor it is you. But even more so, perhaps it's not true, and you're just being a thieving liar and tool of the enemy who is just promoting false accusation against your brother and your sister in Christ. And, God, and Satan is doing this consistently to God about you and about me. But guess what? And this isn't the conclusion of our, our message, but I just don't want to leave it there, that all, all Jesus, all, all the Heavenly Father is hearing is all the bad stuff we've either done or doing or may, may possibly do, and any, any one of us could do anything after we leave this building this morning. Let me tell you, there's an advocate for the believer in the Lord, uh, for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ Himself, He sits on the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. Who do you think the Heavenly Father listens to? And he knows all anyways. But do you think he's going to listen to Satan? A liar from the beginning? Or is he going to listen to his son? And you know what his son says about you? If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he's forgiven. 
She's clean. Hallelujah. They are brand new creations in my life. Amen. In Jesus' name. But Satan just doesn't come against humanity himself spiritually in, in the courts or throne room of God. He also does it through others. We see this and remember our text regarding the religious leaders of the time. Jesus said about them, you are of your father whom? The devil. You are, you are his tools. He didn't say they were possessed. Maybe they were. Maybe some of them were. But you're doing his bidding. And we see them doing it in the case of accusation here in Mark chapter 3, verse 22. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem, a sect of the religious leaders of the day, were saying, he, and this is Jesus doing great and mighty, this is in response to Jesus doing great and mighty miracles, including casting out demons. People have been oppressed by demons, possessed by demons, afflicted by demons. Jesus would cast them out and he would say, go, and they would flee. Because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the response of the religious leaders of the time. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan or the devil. I think it literally means Lord of the Flies. And he, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of demons. Jesus is doing a great work. He is demonstrating the might and the power and the authority of God. People are being set free, and most importantly, the name of the Lord is being glorified. Yet what is the response of these religious people who were children of the devil by the word of Jesus, false accusation. He casts out devils by the prince of devils. And may I say, this was not only a, fa a, a, a false accusation, this was a low blow showing you just how low the enemy will go. They weren't saying, oh, this is, they weren't just saying, this is just a show. You know, I still believe God works miraculously today. And I have to admit, God forgive, for, forgive me, but I have to admit some, some of the things that I've seen, I kind of question, is this legitimately God or not? And uh, not that I have a weekly rundown on my Facebook page of true and false miracles, but some of the things you see, it's, it's difficult to reconcile, and please keep the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer. Um, another national ministry is going through a very, very difficult, international ministry going through a very di difficult time. And uh, the enemy wants to use that just to bring shame and railing accusation against the church. And so we need to pray. But enough about that. But the enemy, uh, you know, as, uh, it, it's not just a matter of, uh, or, or, or getting back to, to uh, uh, miracles, it's, it's, it's easy to, to question the motives of people on whether the miracles are true or if they're just phony, but a really low blow is to say this is satanic when it's actually the moving, the power, the anointing of God's Holy Spirit. And we know this is low, not just because we're, you know, uh, they're saying this about Jesus, Remember, Jesus was anointed by God's Holy Spirit. He can and did everything. But on the day he was water baptized, the Spirit of God lighted upon him, and he verbally affirmed that by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach. And what these people were saying is that that Spirit by which Jesus does these miracles is an evil spirit. And Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that sin will not be forgiven of you. Friends, let, let me just say this. I'm, I'm saying this, that this, the world says this. And the world is saying this about the church today. And, and the more, especially spiritually and morally, that the world and church separate and 
our society spiritually is becoming polarized. Where we have believers, imperfect as they are, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who are sincerely trying to follow God with all their hearts, and people who reject the gospel and the message of the gospel that Jesus is the way, the only way, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. And they're going to come with railing accusation against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, saying they are instruments of the devil. And are, are not people who say that Jesus is the only way labeled as, and, and, and this has become now one of the greatest sins in our culture today, intolerant. And our nation used to be a nation where, where we were free to worship and believe however. But now if you don't believe, you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You can, you can make up your own spirituality. And, and if anyone says anything against what you believe in your own mind, regardless if it's based on the word of God or not, and they're wicked and evil and terrible people and should be banned from society. That, that's, that's where we're at. It's not only where we're going. It's where we're at. And morals, it's morally has been that way for a long time and it's just getting worse. God help us. And so we're experiencing the, these accusations. And, but may, may this never come into the, 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 the church of the Lord Jesus Christ where, where we question people. Take for instance... Uh, the issue of uh, uh, abortion, and I, and I am proudly pro-life from the moment of conception because I believe life is from God, and the Word of God says that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Even before you were conceived. And, and people who are sincerely pro-life, and, and um, you know, they're... they're and I disagree with them, people who are, are, are um, you know, very, uh, very much behind, uh, you know, uh, um, abortion, and, and um, um, some of them are very nice people and, and are moral in, in some parts of their lives, but they, they've embraced the lie. Um, we love those people. We want to see those people come to Christ. Um, but... In the world, the eyes of someone who's pro-life, sincere, who, who, who are just concerned about that precious little child that has been conceived, is painted as a misogynist who hates women, who hates children, who wants to see uh, women oppressed. And nothing could be further than the truth for people who make a stand for life. This is, what we're, this is what we're dealing with in many instances. It may never happen in the church where we just falsely uh, accuse someone or, or, or question someone's motives as far as who they are or um, what they're doing for the kingdom of God. But the worst, and probably the most unkind, unkindest, second to the worst. We expect Satan to be against us. We should expect the world. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Don't be surprised by that. But we shouldn't expect other brothers and sisters to be against us. But unfortunately, and I hate to tell it to you, but I must tell it to you, because if I don't, when it happens, it, and there's a high likelihood that someone will do or say something very mean-spirited or, or wrong or evil or slanderous against you, that you do not allow it to affect your faith or your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something Paul experienced throughout his ministry. Wherever he went, there were people either who were Christians or professed they were Christians 
who constantly came against him. And one of the weapons that they used in some cases successfully was accusation. We read about this in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He talks about different people who are preaching the word of God, even though he at the, at the time was in prison. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. There are people in the body of Christ, miserable believers. And I can't think of a better word to call them than than that word, miserable. Who've allowed the work of the gospel to become all about them and, and see anyone who is successful in Jesus or being used by God or maybe who isn't either, they just, just don't like them. Who will try to make their lives miserable, including sharing false accusations against them, gossip, slander, or, or even things that are truth, but true, but are being shared in a wrong spirit, in a wrong fashion. In fact, may I say one of the uh, harsh realities that, that there is in serving Jesus is some of the biggest thorns or critics that we have in serving Jesus are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And like Paul, they will bring into question your character or your teaching or your testimony. And the goal of the enemy is this. Number one, to move God against you, which isn't going to happen. The last person God's going to listen to is Satan. To move others against you in the church, outside of the church. Cause division within the body of Christ. Division. And, and let me tell you, God just does not want you to live, does not only want us and has given us the privilege to live in unity in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also believe as salt and light, we're to bring unity in whatever organization or institution that we belong to. Amen? Amen. In fact, you being salt and light, I hope in your job, and I suspect so, that you're not a, a talebearer or an instigator or a troublemaker, but you're someone who tries to shine the light of Christ by bringing joy and unity and righteousness into the place that you work. That's part of your Christian testimony and a very important part. But his ultimate goal is to get in here and to get in here your heart and your mind and your spirit by bringing up to you either through his oppressions, either through others, or sometimes even just your own conscience. And one of our, our saving graces, but also sometimes one of our biggest enemies is our, our conscience because our conscience can be uh, somewhat uh, warped um, due to life experience. To remind you of the things or to hurl accusation against you because of things you have done in your past. Things under the blood of Jesus. The person that you were before you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have ever struggled after you accepted God with forgiveness in your life over the things you did even before you gave your life to Jesus? We all have. It's wrong. It's under the blood. The word of God says, and that's why we go by his word and not by our feeling, that God has removed as far as could possibly be removed, as far as the east is from the west, so has he removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 102, 103. Things that you are currently doing, how many are perfect? Here, stand up. <laughs> Sit down, Jim. <laughs> he was sitting. I, I dare say, all of us not only are subject to sin because we're still in these human bodies, we struggle with sin on a daily basis. 
And let me tell you the sins God is concerned with, the sins you know, even the sins you don't know or should know. Because I bet on the way to church here, every one of us thought, said, or did something that we shouldn't have done, and we didn't even realize it was wrong. An incredible stand. That's why grace is, is so wonderful. But then, but then, and this is the worst thing, and which is bad. But you know, we'll talk about in closing here shortly. But thirdly, Satan wants to bring you under condemnation over things that you've never done. Now, it's a sin to actually act out against the word and the will of God. But it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was without sin, but Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And he withstood the temptation. Some of us withstand, or or may I say, certain temptations that come our way, we have no problem with in our lives. You know, if someone was to, to say, here, here, you know, smoke this, inject this, that, that's the least thing that I would want to do in my life. I don't, I don't have a, a, a problem with that. Uh, and, and never really did, so it's not really an issue. But if I'm in a bad situation, and uh, I use this illustration often, someone, a lady comes to me with a, just a real ugly hat and says, how do you like my hat? <laughs> I have to admit, I struggle with tempting, <laughs> temptation to say, it is beautiful when that's the last thing that I think it possibly is. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Just because you're tempted or you struggle with something doesn't mean you're guilty of that. It's only when you, you know, we can get into the whole thing as far as we should at times dealing with sin, how we're not to entertain uh, temptations, that we're to reject them and flee, from, flee youthful lusts, as the Apostle Paul says. But just being tempted by those things doesn't mean that uh, we're, we're guilty of those things. But the enemy will tell you, will feed lies, and that's why deception is in every weapon and is the most heinous of all will lie to you and say, you are no good because of the things that, you know, that are in your heart that you could possibly do. I think that the best way to illustrate that or understand that is, and I have a complete respect for the police and the job that they do. They need our prayers, but they are human beings. And there are instances where... Uh, uh, police have obtained confessions u- using uh, co- coercive tactics where an innocent person has confessed to a crime that they didn't commit. And, you know, they, you know, and, you know I've, I've watched plenty of true crime shows and they've shown people and, and sometimes police work is awesome, it's excellent. Sometimes they have a poor guy who uh, they deprive of Contact, food, water, rest. They'll talk to him hours. They'll yell in his face, you did it, you did it, you did it. And finally, the guy breaks down and he confesses where he's not been guilty. And in some instances, those things have been overturned. They're documented. I didn't bring any documented cases, but there, there are plenty of them. That's the way Satan works. You're no good. You're a liar. You're a thief. You're none of those things. Like they said about Hitler, if you say things loud enough and long enough, people begin to believe them. And sometimes you can believe things about yourself that aren't even true. So how do we deal with this weapon? Because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Three things I'd like to share with you. Number one, we need to be people who, as I put in your notes, embrace grace. And I'm talking about the notes, not in the back of the bulletin. There's a separate updated notes. We need to embrace or understand what grace actually is. Let me ask you this, and these things are very important. I'll try to move through them quickly because it's 11 o'clock. Um, 
who here found salvation or, or found forgiveness of your sins in the heart of Jesus because you did something wonderful for him? Let me answer that for you. No one did. The only reason that any of us are forgiven today is because Jesus died. We weren't worth anything, or we didn't do anything that merited, because any good thing that we've done has been undermined countless of times by the evil things that we've done, which we've all been guilty of. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The scripture is clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It was God just saying, I love, put, believe on me, believe I died for you, and I will save you. That's the message of the gospel. Not only are we not saved by works, we do not live by works. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness is not by doing the right thing all the time. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Why are you free to worship God here this morning? Because you lived a, you had a really good week, you didn't tell any lies? Or is it because you believe on Jesus that he has saved you and has redeemed you and he's made you clean? Amen. It's the latter, not the former. And as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, it is the grace of God that we have received by faith that keeps us righteous in God's eyes even as we struggle with our old nature. Otherwise, there would be no hope. Can you imagine what life would be like if the moment you sinned, you lost your salvation? The moment you said something, did something, thought something. You don't have to go kill a man to be guilty of murder. All you have to do is hate someone in your heart. And that is a struggle I, I dare say many of us will have with different individuals consistently as we live our lives. It'd be no hope. Few of us, if any, would make it because we're always falling down. We're always growing. God in my life is always revealing new areas of surrender that I need to lay down before him. Now, this is not an excuse. I'm not saying this is a license to sin. It certainly isn't. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? What I'm saying is sin is deadly and sin will ruin your soul if you choose to live in it. But if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have accepted Jesus Christ by grace through faith, you have an opportunity of Forgiveness because you live under grace without losing your salvation. And let me share with you an example from Scripture. This is very important, and uh, uh, so I don't, I don't want to rush too quickly through it. A good example of this was a very wicked woman in the New Testament in a church in the city of Thyatira that we read about in the book of Revelation chapter 3. She was a woman in the church. Presumably she was someone at some point who had accepted Christ into her life. Yet she became entangled with sin, particularly the sin of idolatry, worshiping idols instead of Jesus. And secondly, immorality, adultery. And not only was she engaged in these sins, she also was trying to persuade other people to engage in these sins with her. It's okay. Be very careful when people, when you're convicted by something, or especially when you read something in the Word of God, and people say, it's okay. And God didn't immediately pour out his wrath upon her. The Bible says, what? 
I gave her, this is the words of Jesus himself, I gave her space to repent. I gave her opportunity. Why was she given opportunity? Why? Because God is a God of grace. And his goal isn't just to save us so that we live perfect. And the moment we live perfect, he has nothing to do with us. Grace means that as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, when we do fail, we have an opportunity. We have a space. We have, we have a space to repent or a time of repentance to turn to God and be liberated from this sin so it doesn't overtake us and affect our saving our faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Satan says, oh, you just hit your thumb with a nail and you use the Lord's name in vain, you're done. You violated the Ten Commandments. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen? Amen. Respond to him just like Jesus did with the word of God. Secondly, reverse the golden rule, and I'm not saying... We reverse scriptures. But what I mean by that is this. The golden rule, for those who aren't familiar with it, Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Let me tell you whom our worst enemy is as far as guilt. And that's the person you look at in the mirror. We are our own worst enemies. And... Uh, um, you know, we look at ourselves and we, we know, <laughs> we know how we fall short. And we know how imperfect we are. And I'm not just talking about sin. I'm, yeah, I'm also talking about, you know, I wish I was more patient. I wish I was more gracious. So on and so forth. These different things. The Bible requires, if we have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have received his grace, we are to be gracious to others. Now, when I say this, if this isn't true in your life, you need to pray and ask God to make it true. But if you see someone come in here, and they're broken in their heart, and they've done some, some things that they're ashamed of, and, and, and let me tell you, you know, I, I made a little joke about or use the illustration of drugs and a lot, you know, which is worse? Well, lying lips are an abomination before God. I, I'd rather deal with a, an honest drug addict than, than with a, a, a Bible-thumping liar any day. But someone coming in and did, done some real mistakes, hurt a lot of people, and they come in and they're broken about it, and they're seeking forgiveness. What is... What is our response? What should our response be when we, someone, we see someone like that? We love you. We're so glad you're here. God has a future. God has a plan for you. God will forgive you. He'll clean you. He'll give you a brand new life in the name of Jesus. What are you doing here? You don't belong here. I mean, the church that does that is not the church. It's the church of Satan. Church of accusation. Do we, and, and, and that is normal, and I know a lot of you, if not all of you, that would be your feelings if someone was to come in, in that situation. But do we offer ourselves that same measure of grace when we're dealing and struggling with things? I think sometimes what we need to do is kind of take ourselves out of ourselves and talk to ourselves as if we were not who we are. And what I mean by that is this, because that sounds pretty... We, we counsel ourselves because uh, one of the counselors... You want a spirit-filled counselor, you can start with yourself because you're, you're able is to speak to us from the Spirit, from the Word of God, how we would speak to someone else if they were going through that situation. Saying, you know, you're terrible... <laughs> It doesn't matter. We're all terrible. That's why Jesus died. And, and, and you know, God has redeemed, and you can make it. And all the things that you would tell someone, encourage someone to press on and encourage Jesus, you need to do to yourself. 
Exercise the golden rule to yourself. You wouldn't want to go to a church that wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. You didn't look right, act right, you know, say, act a certain way. Don't, don't put that burden on yourself. As well, speak to yourself words of grace. And lastly, understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation and conviction are very, very similar. We read about conviction, John 16, 8, when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And what conviction is, is to bring something to light, kind of shine a light on the different areas of, of your life. And with the purpose of exposing them to change. Now, those of you who are parents, when your child has done something serious, um, has violated the rules of the house or the word of God, I'm sure that when it was brought to light, you weren't like, well, little Johnny, that's not how we do things. (laughs) What in the world are you doing? You're grounded. You, you will not be able to go out and see that individual or, you know, you're not going over that person's house. You deal with them se- severely. I'm not talking about abuse. But you make them feel bad for the reason of what? So they won't do it again, that they'll live right. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians. He had a harsh word for the Corinthians. He said, I made you feel bad, not to destroy the man, but to save the man. And the Holy Spirit, when we're, we're not tempted or, you know, when we're tempted with sin, conviction is, you know, don't do that. And when we begin to act on that temptation, might feel the, the grief of the Holy Spirit, you know, the Bible talks about grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. We might feel the grief of the Holy Spirit over this, the displeasure of God. And that's a good thing. Because if we're walking in faith and we're walking in grace, we know that God is speaking to us this way to bring us to a place of repentance, of forgiveness, of liberation. A renewed relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how God moves. But then there's condemnation, which is completely different, completely different Greek word. Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What condemnation is, is a final judgment. Think of it this way, just very quickly. You're speeding down the road, officer gives you a warning, conviction. Don't do that again. It's wrong, get someone hurt, drive right. Condemnation is, here's a $120 fine, you got X amount of points, you're gonna have to take classes and we'll see you in traffic court. Boom. No questions asked. That's condemnation, that's the enemy that says, because you're dealing with or struggling with or whatever, in the, you know, however that assault is coming against you, you are no good. God has no use for you. God doesn't want you. You might as well give up on him. Let me end with this. Isaiah 54, verse 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. May I sum up all of these things, the determination between conviction, condemnation, the reverse golden rule, the understanding and the living in God's grace this way, as we walk closely with the Holy Spirit, not only is there a mental understanding of what it means to not only accept Jesus Christ by faith, but to live by faith through grace in the name of Jesus. Because we're walking and living in the Spirit, the Spirit of God makes that real in our lives.
so that when Satan comes against us, when his words of accusation, we just respond, ha ha, Satan, you're not going to get me this time. I choose to live in the only truth that there is, the truth of, of the Heavenly Father, the truth of the Word of God. Would you stand with me this morning and let's sing in closing. Facebook, thank you for joining us today. We pray God's peace and blessing with you as we serve and live for the Lord Jesus.